Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. We are back, and so is one of football's greatest maestros, Kevin Abroina. From City's comeback crusade on the Tyneside River, a couple of heated draws in the northwest of England, we've got you covered on all the latest happenings in the Premier League. It's an episode dedicated to the maestro himself. I'm not talking about Bradley Cooper and his football symphony he orchestrates on the pitch. Let's unravel the genius that is Kevin De Bruyne and get ready to dive into another EPL State of Mind episode here. Well, Kyle, welcome back. I'm currently rejoined with Kyle. Sean is out. He's on another venture of his own looking at home. First time home buyer. Oh, got the shakes just for him. Intense stuff, right? But since this is something you have to get used to relatively often to start talking about over the next possible course of the season, season and a half. Why don't you lead the segment one first bit of hot news here, Kyle? What do we have? All right, we got some hot news, but nothing hotter than Everton and Nottingham Forest being charged again. Well, again for Everton, not for Nottingham. For violating the profit and sustainability regulations in the Premier League. Whoops. I mean, Everton, (laughs) who are already appealing against the 10-point deduction relating to the three-year reporting period ending in the 2022 season, have now also been charged for an additional point loss for breaching more rules. Uh, You know, both teams admitted to doing it. That's their biggest problem. Idiots. You never admit it. (laughs) I mean, City's facing 5,000 charges right now. You won't see one of them go, yeah, we did it. No, no, no. You postpone it. I mean, we've been dealing with this shit for, what, two-plus years now, James? Has anything Probably happened? Probably more. Absolutely not. These guys come out and they say it right away. Bam, 10 points. You're done, assholes. Like, come on. So, Well, the biggest the biggest thing here is that Everton and Forrest, it's a pretty clear-cut track of financial spending and, and violating. They have been spending too much on earning too little, right? So that's very easily trackable over three courses that you have to report to the English Premier League. On Man City's case, which we've talked about before, it's all hypothetical. It's inflammation of their sponsorships. How do you track that? So the Premier League, again, uses, unfortunately, Everton, who's been in great form over the past couple of weeks since their initial 10-point deduction, are being used as a scapegoat again. We've kind of seen that there's some writing on the wall for Nottingham Forest because they spent over $200 million in a transfer window last summer, being a newly promoted um, side. So it was a, smelt a little fishy there, right, Kyle? But I mean, they have yeah, signed you know, 42 the, uh, players since to carrying promotion. So that's, you know, that's a bit tri- tricky. I saw, I saw one of those memes today, which was the Squidward reclining on his chair, bathing the sun, where like he looks over and lowers his glasses, like, oh, anything going on? Nope. And he goes right back. And that's just what City and Chelsea are doing right now. Like they admitted it. They're getting <laughs> in trouble. Not my business. I don't care. Deal with it later. I love that yeah. mentality out of those teams. But yeah, I mean, it's. It's bigger for Forrest, in my opinion, because I think Everton, Everton's in good enough form right now to stay up, regardless. But I mean, if well, Forrest, not if they get hit with another ten points. They yeah, have another but, ten points. They're like, yeah, I mean that that hurts. Twenty points in one season is tough, <laughs> tough to come back from. But I, I yeah. don't know, dude. If Nottingham gets hit with that, I'm not sure they come back from that reduction. Like, you know, no, I, I mean, mean if, if if Everton didn't get hit with this, they would have successfully, in my opinion. I don't want to jinx them or anything, but they would have come back from a ten point reduction and stayed in the Premier League. Yeah. I mean, you look at the table now, right? So four sits in 15th place with 20 points. A 10-point deduction would drop them to 19th with 10 points. And then Everton, I'm assuming it's not going to be a 10-point deduction again, but let's just say it's something along the lines of 5 or 10 in between the two numbers. They are automatically dropped to at least 18th with Nottingham Forest dropping right below them. So right now you have 
you have just saved Luton Town and Burnley. Maybe you saved Vincent Company's job right now. But these are two teams that are fighting the very bottom of the middle side of the table to begin with. I don't know if they'll survive. Yeah, what's unfortunate for Everton is that they're not alone this time. You know, if they were alone, the board might have looked at that and been like, you know, we already hit them with the 10-point deduction. We'll show a little leniency on this matter. But since it's got to be equal judgment now for both Everton and Nottingham Forest, they're going to just drop the hammer on whatever needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, we've said this before. It's a reminder to all that Manchester City still have 115 charges (laughs) looming over their heads. 115. Okay, Let's raise that up. I want 150 by the end of the year. Easy. Yeah, but but we're not really expecting anything to to be put into paper or put into action until 2025. Um, you know, it it's just not really substantial quite yet. They're trying to cement that, and they're building the cases right now so that they can drop that hammer on you guys. But like I said, you'll have to get used to this conversation about FFP um, rules a little bit more, Kyle. So unfortunate for you. Well, not yet. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but. A little bit more of uh, better news, I think, for the football world in general is FIFA's best award ceremony took place today, and they came out with the their every year they do the annual player of the year, and then they do you know the the men's coach of the year and the starting eleven. So for a men's player of the year, none other than Messi, who had an incredible international and domestic season. Domestic now is a bit tricky because half of it was spent with um, with Inter Miami. So not exactly amongst the best company there, but what he did there when he was playing for the tournament in the MLS, he he did exceptional. You can see how he really turned things around from Miami. It was a little bit too late in the season for him to do anything substantial and for a playoff run, but it's messy. You know, he could be walking around the field and he would still be being probably one of the best players on that pitch. So he gets player of the year. No surprise here, but coach of the year goes to the treble winning Pep Guardiola. And then men's goalkeeper of the year, which doesn't make much sense for me, is is Ederson. Um, you know, he's the number one goalkeeping keeper for Brazil, who didn't have a great World Cup. And then he is obviously Manchester City's number one goalie. But let's be honest, with the defensive line ahead of him and the midfield and their possession-based play, he's not asked to do a lot during those games. Um, it also doesn't really make sense because the next portion of this, which is going to be the men's starting 11 in goalkeeper, you have Courtois from Real Madrid. How do you give someone the award for best goalie, but you say that they are not starting on the XI? So it doesn't make any sense to me. Courtois has been phenomenal. He did come across a recent injury, obviously, to his knee, I believe, which has kept me, kept him out for that tail end of 2023. But still, for Real Madrid, the best keeper behind the stick so far as of modern-day football. Now, do you think that has anything to do with uh, with him winning the Champions League? to put Ederson there because, I, you know, Messi's on Ballon d'Or because he won the World Cup and did crazy stuff over there. Do you think yeah. that has anything I to mean, do with it? I mean, when you're the goalie of a, a treble-winning team and arguably one of the best Brazil sides we have seen in a while, it it is going to weigh heavily. But still, it doesn't make sense. You give him the goalkeeper of the year award and then you don't start him on the starting the men's starting 11. It doesn't make much sense to me. Um, I know if Sean was here, He'd be saying that's a joke because I tend to agree with him that Allison is a much better English Premier League goalie uh, than Edison is, or Ederson, rather. Um, and I'll have to double-check, but I'm pretty sure, actually, now that I think of it, the goalie for Brazil during the World Cup was Allison. So I'm not really sure what Ederson did besides just ride the coattails of Holland and De Bruyne during the season last year to really earn that 
that call. And even then, you could you could argue that Emmy Martinez, whatever. We're, we're getting way too deep into goalkeeper of the year right now. So moving along, why don't you? We have the the starting eleven here, Kyle. Why don't you rattle off the starting eleven here? Why don't I go ahead and take the defense, which are all Man City players? We have John Stones, Kyle Walker, and Ruben Diaz. But yeah, it's it. I think it's a, a little fair, a little unfair. They're going for a three defense team here, which really just takes away a lot of the best wing players in the world. I would like to have seen Trent Alexander Arnold on there. I think he deserved it. I know Trippier had a phenomenal season. Like I'm, I'm considering the end of last season as well because it is this yeah. calendar year. So th- there's a lot of players, right backs, left backs, that in my opinion deserved it as well. But with this formation they're putting out, I, I agree with it. I mean, maybe you'll you'll say Saliba deserves to have that spot in one of the center backs. I wouldn't argue that. I think he's a otherworldly talent right now. But I'm not too sure how we finished the year. Like I'm saying, how did he finish last season? I, I forget a lot of what on the bench. individual players. On the bench. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. He unfortunately finished on the bench with an injury. And he's still a little bit young. You know, a lot of good talent in the French national team, which is hard to to overcome as well. But it, the three in the back system for the world for the FIFA World's Best Team award here is tough, but you got to then look at the midfield, and you're, you're you would be taking away position in the midfield if you had those three three backs a little bit higher in numbers. We should have done a little like precursor, a little warning. More than half of the starting eleven players are from Manchester City. Six of them are from Oof. Man City, so that's outrageous. They might as well have called this Man City. They could have called it Real City FC for Real Madrid and Manchester City because this is essentially the combination of both. The midfield, we have Bernardo Silva, Man City, obviously. Jude Bellingham from Real Madrid, one of the greatest, youngest talents in the world right now who had a good shot at Men's Player of the Year. You have Kevin Verborina, who arguably could have been the Men's Player of the Year as well and probably should have, being the maestro that we're going to talk about later, the center of the men's best team starting 11 that is and then going to the attacking side of things you had to have the robot automatic Erlen holland man city Kylian mbappe psg which at this point just because of his individual skill he's on this right he's still one of the world's best strikers or forwards really and then of course you have Lionel messi who won player of the year with inter miami and then vinicius jr who we'll talk about the next bit of hot news is an incredible winger and Thoroughly deserves, I'm a big fan of his, thoroughly deserves to be on this roster being probably the best left midfielder in the world other than when Mbappe plays there. With this being said, it segues nicely into the Super, the Spanish Supercopa final, which was a uh, another Barcelona versus Real Madrid El Clasico. Real Madrid dominated Barcelona in this 4-1 to one in which was held in Saudi Arabia, the capital there. So Riyadh. Uh, this is was an incredible matchup between the two. We thought it would be a little bit closer. But Vinny Jr., like I noted before, being the best in the world, he had an opening game brace in the first 10 minutes and ended with a hat trick. Just completely outplayed, outpaced specifically from Real Madrid to Barcelona. Real Madrid showed exactly why they are, unfortunately, number two in La Liga right now, but will eventually go on, in my opinion, to win La Liga again. So Carlo Ancelotti is now tied with Zidane Zidane as the second most successful manager in Madrid history with 11 trophies in his cabinet. And that's still growing. I think they're probably number one, number two favorites in the Champions League. They're battling out with Man City at this point. So will we see Ancelotti surpass Zidane? We do not know. 
we do that now. But I know, Kyle, you watched this game a little bit. It was thoroughly entertaining. Felt bad for Barcelona. They just couldn't handle the pace. Barcelona played a very high line, which didn't make any, any sense to me. When you have, you know, Rodrigo, you have uh, Vinicius Jr. It, it just so too much pace for that. But uh, thoughts on that game before we hop into the next game? I thought it was a phenomenal El Clasico. I'm a Madrid fan at heart, so to see them score early twice and really control the game is always nice to see. Lewandowski had a phenomenal goal, if you guys haven't seen his yeah. goal. That was an absolute piss missile from outside the 18 on a one-time volley. But I think the highlight comes here was, you mentioned Ancelotti joins Zidane. I mean, it's it's hard to say that Ancelotti's not one of, if not the best international manager in the world. Like, I say international between leagues. I think he's won, a, won the title in all five major leagues, and he's the only manager to ever do it, which is very impressive. But then... You look at Zidane when he was just at Madrid. I'm pretty sure he was, what, nine for nine in cup finals. He brought home every single trophy he ever played in coaching them, which is just unbelievable. There were some stats toward the end when he was like seven for seven. They were saying that he's lost more games or he's won more titles than lost games. Like it's it's an <laughs> unbelievable stat when you look at how well Zidane did with Ronaldo and company. I mean, he had the golden era of Ronaldo, Bale, and Benzema. But yeah, still, it's... It's we're talking two of the best managers to ever grace the Bernabeu, so it's it's nice to see. It's not the Bernabeu, just to grace the pitch, just that yeah you got yeah, it. yeah Bernabeu you got yeah. The, yeah you got just to grace the pitch in general. Um, I know we were looking forward to seeing a little bit more action, possibly getting Ancelotti back under Chelsea management again, but we'll see we'll see where he goes next time. He might be a, a good predecessor to Bayern Munich. We'll we'll see we'll see where he goes after twenty twenty five. But oh, getting into I mean, you can't hate the red there card, was, right? <laughs> there was a red card. Time. It was a double. It was a double yellow. Yeah. But um, the second yellow was a bit weak. But I know you're a big fan of the the, the red card action. I am. One game that was not short of intensity uh, or entertainment was one of the marquee matchups this week in the English Premier League for the split week. Just so you all remember, five games this weekend, five games next this upcoming weekend, and this one kicked off at St James's Park. It was Manchester City versus Newcastle. Newcastle did fall to Manchester City 3-2, to two, but they did a great job getting back into the game after going down 1-0 relatively early off of an incredible Fernando Silva kind of back heel flick into the, into the side netting, essentially. But Kyle, why don't you take it away this game and, and tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it was, um, I hate to say it, but I, I was scared for a while. Newcastle really controlled the game toward the end of the first half. It was... Uh, you know, the goal from Man City was fantastic. That backheel flick was class. And Bernardo Silva's used to doing stuff like that. He's a very trickster little finisher. But Newcastle answered the best you could possibly answer with two goals in 100 seconds. Simple as that. We talked uh, two weeks ago about the impact of Isak's return. There you go. Boom, right there. He just scored against Man City's defense. And then led to another goal within a minute and a half afterwards, which was also a phenomenal goal from Gordon. Take nothing away from it. But... You know, the, I can talk all day about the game. The real story from the game was the return of Kevin De Bruyne. Simple as that. He he comes on with 29 minutes left in the game, has the tying goal from outside the 18, which is, if, if you watch the goal, it's just classic De Bruyne across the body, low and away, fast. It's We've seen him do it 100 times. And then his assist in the 90th, 91st minute, I believe it was, was nothing short of world class. It was a lofted ball over the defense with, I mean, our man, Oscar Bob, living legend Oscar <laughs> Bob, he just takes 
phenomenal control outside the boot, one touch settle, and then just a little shimmy one, two to beat the goalie and score the goal wins the game. The composure from Oscar Bob yeah. was something you would expect from a 10 year player, a veteran of the game. And this dude is new to the lineup. Doesn't really get his chance often. I'm going to go ahead and say the only reason he's playing is because Ederson got hurt. It's not true at all, but you got to bring up the Ederson injury. But um, yeah, it, it was a good game. I don't know if City really deserved all three points there. I was not too excited by the by the quality of play. The outcome, hell, oh, fuck yeah, three points. Never going to complain about that. But, you know, if if not for Kevin De Bruyne, that game, I'm not even that confident we get one point out of it, which shows both the impact of Kevin De Bruyne and the quality of Man City without their maestro. So, you know, they need work but they have they have the tools. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched the game as well, and it was a really impressive showing from Newcastle, specifically in that first half. I think the second half was was pretty much the Man City show. But you, you, like you said, you, you have to give it to Anthony Gordon and Isaac, who had two clinical finishes, both from the left side of the pitch, curled into the side netting, where even if Ederson was in the net, I don't know if he's getting to it. Uh, they were top-class finishes from both. What, one thing that for me is, you know, we talked about last week, Newcastle might be in financial play violations with Everton and Nottingham Forest oh, and might be, and might, <laughs> and might have to be forced to sell one of their stars, whether that be Bruno, whether that be Botman, or Isaac has been in the conversation. I think he's a player that will change anyone's team up. And I'm wink, wink, nudge, nudging to Arsenal that if there's even 25% true of this rumor, Get your asses in that pot and start betting on them because that is a player that I high, highly hold as one of the, the world's best strikers to come. Uh, he's very Thierry Henry-esque. He's very tall. He's very lanky. He's got pace. He keeps the ball really nice and close. I mean, he's got he's got some potential there. But getting back to the City game, Klopp, I think, said it as greatly as physically possible when he said a couple of weeks ago that Kevin is getting ready to come back. And I quote, the whole country is starting to shake. And we'll get a little bit more into why everyone was starting to shake because I think a lot of people kind of forgot the presence that KDB has on that pitch. And we'll get into that in our player spotlight a little bit later on in the segment. Overall, really entertaining game, though. Got to feel bad for Newcastle. Their lineup has been thoroughly stretched. I believe they had three teenagers and two goalies on their bench for this game. It just shows that towards the end of the game, you really need that depth to kind of kick it up a notch because you could tell that they were tired and you could tell that Man City's depth was able to be there. And now with Oscar Bob coming into the picture, I don't know. I, I mean, it was phenomenal, but I don't know how he gets the nod over Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish must have, does Pep have, have a daughter or something like that? Because Grealish has got to be all over that if that's the case, because I don't understand how Grealish is riding the pine right now. He might be nursing some type of injury I'm not aware of, but he, he was rostered, he was fit, and he's in that left mid position, and Oscar Bob gets the nod over him. Obviously, I can't doubt why now because of how cool, calm, and collected that finish was, but I just don't understand. So maybe there'll be a little bit more light being shed to that $100 million signing that they're putting on the bench now. They probably just partied too hard the night before. It's Jack Relish. Yeah, of course. Of, of course. course. The other game, the marquee matchup of this weekend, was Manchester United-Tottenham Hotspurs, and this was at Old Trafford. And this was actually my lock of the week, but I kind of... Um, I don't want to say it, but I kind of pussyfooted around a little bit where I said you it was fraud. draw no, it was a draw no bet fraud. So we pushed, we pushed, we pushed. We'll get we'll get to that specifics when it comes to your lock of the week. But it did tie. It tied two two. It was by it was Manchester United 
expected goals of 0.99 and Tottenham of 1.52. So right off the bat, Rasmus Hoyland opened up the scoring early in one of the most powerful in the middle of the box left-footed strike that smashed into the top of the net you could see to give United the lead within three minutes of the game, which is insane. So it's a two-game goal streak for the Danish player now, which is is what you need this guy to get hot. He's a young talent that, you know, costed the team a bit of money and some raised some a few eyebrows, but that was a smash and a half. It was kind of a, fell to him relatively luckily. He got in the way of Rashford, who was trying to cut in on his right side, and the ball ended up bouncing back to him where he just one time rips it to the roof. There was no way Vicario was going to even remotely get close to that. But unfortunately for the Red Devils, their impressive start didn't last very long. In the 16th minute, a set-piece corner kick equalizer from the Red Hot. I know you love this one, Richarlson. Who uh, makes it six. Makes it, you can't argue it, man. Six goals in six games. This is a stat I'll throw out there that I don't love to say, but he has more goals now than all three of Arsenal's top line, which is ridiculous, to say the least. But with that being said... I think the real star for this play or for this first half relatively the game, I believe he got player of the match on football, is Pedro Porro. Porro has been going under the radar as far as key players go for the Spurs. Personally, I'm not a massive fan of him. I just don't like his attitude on the pitch. It's probably because he just goes really hard. I think he's overzealous when he goes into his fouls. He commits. Um, very dangerous player. But again, being a dangerous player is great. That's why you get paid the big bucks. But you have to respect how good he is. I mean, Poro added a seventh assist to his season tally, which moves him up tied for third with Trippier and currently has four more than Trent Alexander-Arnold in respect to position right back. Now, I know Sean isn't here on the podcast, so if he was, he, he'd tell me to just shut up right now. <laughs> but I will open up with this line. I am not saying Sean Larkin that Pedro Poro is better than Trent, but in terms of becoming a massive part of their respective team's attacking ability, Poro is right there and offers a little bit more on defense. Just a little bit. Okay, Poro is, you know, only 10 chances behind Trent Alexander-Arnold with 39, but leads the right-back position in shots attempted and is the Spurs' second-highest-rated football player, only behind James Madison, who hasn't played since November. So really, he's the most valuable player for Spurs right now. Outside of Kane and give Richarlison a little bit more time with more goals, I think that will show. But he is able to generate goals off of the wing with whipped-in crosses, overlapping. And you could see that this game, he started to shift towards the center of the pitch and really become more of an inverted center back with the lacking of Basuma, Papsar, and James Madison still MIA, right, with injury. So it's incredible how he's really fit into this within the, within a new system within one year. Right. He's still miles away from Trent in terms of ball distribution from near and far, putting the p the ping passes together. But if Liverpool actually finished a lot of their missed chances, which they are leading the league with most missed chances, Trent would have a little bit more assists as well, which is part of the argument. So I really just think that Pedro Porro, it's time to shine a little bit light on him and is another right back in the league, or really player in general, that we're going to have to keep monitoring. He is only 24 in a new system. The Spurs aren't going anywhere. But going back to the remainder of this game, it was kind of just in Spurs possession-wise, very basketball-y, counterattack, counterattack. No real 
possessive flow, other than the fact that I think Spurs had 64% of the possession. But you, there's a couple key takeaways from this game. But before I get my takeaways, Kyle, do you have any thoughts or opinions on, on this matchup? Um, well, it's, you know, you like you were talking about Pedro Poro. The man plays like he's playing rec soccer in high school and got put in defense and does not want to play defense. He's he's everywhere. It's fun to watch him play. And, I mean, clearly he's on a Premier League team. He knows how to play defense damn well, which is why they're <laughs> thriving. But, I mean, you look at all the right backs, left backs in the league, how far they actually go up with the ball. He's He's got to be near the top of that list. The um, yeah. which is, or go ahead, yeah, which is a completely different style of play from where Spurs were a year ago, right? We talked about a little bit with Destiny Udagi and Pedro Porro, both providing that extra attacking power by having the freedom to run up. Last year, it was sit back, sit back, counter, let the forwards, let the midfielders do the chasing. Yeah, the uh, the only other note I had was I'm coming to the de- coming to the defense of Mudrik. He uh, he made a post this week in an interview. He said, "My level." Look at Vinicius in his first season with Real Madrid, and look now. Players need time to show their level, especially after moving from one country to another. And you look at the stats. Vinicius' eight, 18 first games with Real Madrid, he had one assist and two goals. 18 games. Mudrik right now has 21 games for Man U, four assists and two goals. Mudrik? Or, yeah. or who for Man U? Mudrik's on Chelsea, my man. Or at Chelsea, sorry. Chelsea. We... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I fully agree with his sentiment, regardless of what team he's on. Players need time to grow. I think there's going to come a time where you need to cut some players that have shown that they've had their chance. No names come to mind. Hint, hint, Liverpool striker Darwin Nunez. But <laughs> I mean, other than that, you got to give them some time. The The game itself was great. A lot of go, a lot of back and forth. There was very little composure in the game, in my opinion. Uh, it was like James said, it was like a basketball game. They're just driving back and forth and back and forth. You're not getting those 15 passes in a row on the back line by either team for the most part. Because for the most part in the game, it was a one-goal game. For yeah. I mean, the entire game, really, it was a one-goal game for either side. So you're yeah. attacking or just playing on defense and going for the counter because both teams are trying to counter whether or not it's their play style. This game was a full-on counter fest. But yeah, no, that's pretty much it for the game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, I think there are two major takeaways, one for each team. One, if you're Manchester United, you kind of figured this was going to be a tough game anyway, but you have to look at it as a, as a good step in the right direction. You had two of your main attacking players back on the scoring sheet with Hoyland and Rashford, who Hoyland, that's what ultimately Mujer. Hoyland. Oh, okay. Hoyland. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of the new the I new did. weird name strikers that came to the Prem this year. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. No, I think you both blonde. I mean both blonde. One's from Ukraine, one's from Denmark. A little a little off there, but that's all right. But Overall, for Manchester United, I think it's a, a step in the right direction. Uh, Radcliffe, Sir Radcliffe was in the stands for the first time. Um, you did see both of those strikers get on the scoreboard or score sheet, rather. And then you also saw on the other end of the pitch, you saw Varane and Martinez both getting more minutes as a center back. Obviously, the big one being Martinez being out longer with injury. Varane hasn't been started as of late because of injury. And then also, uh, he just wasn't preferred for some God unknown reason over uh, Maguire or Johnny Evans when they were both in the in the field. And then on the other side of the coin, if you're Tottenham, I can understand as a Spurs fan if you are not happy with leaving with only one point based on how you played, but consider everything about this match. It's away at Old Trafford, which you have earned three points only twice out of the last 10 matches you've gone there. As discussed in the last episode, you were going there without Sun Basuma and Pap Sar and were dealt a last-minute illness blow of Kuluseski not playing. So right off the bat, four of your best players gone. It's 
almost half of your starting 11, essentially. So you one point well-earned with a lower roster, and you have to look to the fact that Mickey Vanderven came back on, played a full 80 minutes, don't know why you would put him underneath that much pressure with a hamstring injury when you had Radu uh, Gradison, who is the new incoming 30 million signing that we talked about last year, last week, come in for Spurs as well, who played very well for the little cameo that he had. And on the other side of things, Timo Werner, his return yeah. to debut to the English, English <laughs> Premier League. Yeah, oh, we were talking about giving whatever we're, we're giving. Well, we're telling, we're saying you got to give people some time. It's true. Timo didn't need it's any true. time. He put he put he currently has one more goal contribution in 80 minutes than Anthony for Manchester United has in 911 minutes. So I mean you're comparing overall cats story. That's, that's crazy. Mean, I have to. One guy is on loan and the other one costs Manchester United hundred mil. So it's only fair. But with that being said, the Spurs, every time they get handed some type of setback, whether it's another Basuma red card an injury to their center back, completely deprived defensive line, they fight. So you really got to hand it off to the Spurs. They're not going anywhere without a fight this season. But to kind of bring everything to a close on here, Kyle, why don't you talk about the rapid fires here and list off a few of these games? Yeah, sure. I mean, not many games played this weekend. I think there was only five. So Yeah, we covered we'll, two we'll of touch, them. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll touch briefly on the other ones. The one that stood out for me was the Chelsea-Fulham game. And it was boring, wasn't that fun, but guess what? Your boy Cole Palmer scored. You just, you gotta love it. I mean, he's he's having himself a historic month. Well, I would say last six weeks for a player of Cole Palmer's caliber. It's what you need if you want your stock to go up. Very, very happy for him. And his his goal it did come from a penalty, but it gives Chelsea yep. their first, first three-game win streak in 15 months, which is pretty yep. goddamn awful. If you're a Chelsea and Christian, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's bad, but you know what? They're on the right track. I think we all saw this coming. Chelsea is not a team that belongs where they are in the Premier League table right now. So look, yeah. look for Chelsea to really start stepping it up with, you know, if they can keep players healthy, get some new players back from injury, a couple loans here and there. I, I do see Chelsea potentially finishing and I think their, their goal right now should maybe be Europa, but I don't think it's that far out of reach for them. Yeah. They're, they're only one excuse me, one win behind tying with West Ham in six. They do have a game above West Ham right now since they played in the split week. But again, Chelsea, young squad, as long as they don't get hammered by financial fair play violations and make some money this season, we'll see where that leaves them. But, you know, it, it was a good fight or showing for Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Always difficult to go there. Uh, Burnley versus Loontown tied 1-1 at Turf Moor. There was a very controversial ruling of the day for that one, which ended the game 1-1 based off of a last-minute Luton Town goal. Uh, the Hatters were pressing and bombing the ball up the pitch and finally got one into the mixer where the Clarets, go Clarets goalkeeper, James Trafford, was impeded by Elijah Debayo, uh, but VR didn't overrule it. So essentially, there was a player that backed into the goalie as the ball was going over into the box and another player from the Hatters was able to pop it in last second and really seal the deal for them on getting a one point on the road there. Um, look at the, look at the VAR kind of perspective things. It's tough. 
it could have gone either way. I was for letting the play stand. I know Sean was for its impediment and should be called back, but I think the Hatters have had their fair share of magic going the other way and last-minute goals that led to victories or losses. So I, w- I would say this one finally lands in the Hatters' hat or lap, for, for lack of better words. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. He was He was definitely impeded a little bit, but whether or not that really led to the goal, I think they got the decision right. Yeah. But, I mean, the only other game to really touch upon was Everton-Aston Villa at Goodison Park, and that was mm-hmm. just a boring 0-0 game of football. I, I, unfortunately, was not on the pod with Logan, but I, I did give it a listen, and he made an egregious call, which was that Aston Villa would blow out Everton at home. And you know what? Stick a fork in it. That's it. He's just wrong. <laughs> but, I will, you know, I, 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 I didn't will want give, him. Yeah. Right? But you go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. I, I will give Logan the shout out though. He did say that um, uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin was a fraud, which clearly Logan has rent and in DCL's headspace because Calvert Lewin missed a golden opportunity in the 50, 45th plus one. So, first minute of stoppage time in the first half where he shot directly at Ebby Martinez. A little bit to the left, a little right would have been a riot at Goodison Park. And the Toppies would have been up one nothing at half. But this was Austin Villa's, you know, first ever 0-0 draw with Unai Emery as manager in the Premier League, including his time at Arsenal. So in 97 matches, which is the longest start to Premier League managerial career before him being involved in a 0-0 draw by any any manager in the competition's history. Yeah, and you guys know that these are all unbiased opinions only in this podcast. We stick to nothing <laughs> but fact. And... I mean, that's just a crazy stat right there. Zero, zero, first time in over three seasons of play. That's that's yeah. stupendous. At least it's fun football to watch, wild. right? Like, Logan's, he must have had some fun watching. Yeah, I mean, Villa keeps that high line. Like, a lot of the a lot of the teams across, you know, all forms now, like Barcelona we talked about, had the high line over the El Clasico. That was the uh, worst high line I've ever seen in my life. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. That was, oh my God. If you guys want to watch a clinic on how not to play a high line in soccer or football, go go just watch the highlights. It's it's hilariously bad. Yeah. You should be watching you should be watching Unai Emery's Villa and Postacoglu's Spurs for how to play High Line 101. But in order to watch or to gain the perspective on how to play soccer 101, or more specifically in the center of the pitch 101. You should definitely tune into this next segment. It is the spotlight of one of the world's greatest, the world's greatest center midfielder, and possibly, arguably, will be one of the world's greatest to ever play in the central midfielder position. Up next, we have the Kevin De Bruyne of Spotlight. So stay tuned. I hope you guys enjoyed that fun music. I know I always do. But we will jump right in to the Kevin De Bruyne spotlight here. We're talking about a player who's changed Man City in every single possible way. Since his joining, they've gone on historic runs. You know, he reminds me a little bit of Yaya Torre, because I remember watching him growing up thinking, I'll never see another Yaya. But this guy has just proved me wrong on all fronts here. I, it's hard for me to say this, but I think he might have already surpassed him. But, 
you know, Kevin De Bruyne, he started his career as a graduate of the Genk Academy, which is famous for producing players like Courtois, Origi, Trossard, Leon Bailey, Benton Core. And then in 2012, he moved to Chelsea, where he made only three appearances for the club. This was a time where <laughs> you would blame the manager, like, what the hell are you thinking? Because there was a lot of other notable missers on those on his time at Chelsea. A lot of other players rode bench, such as Salah and Nathan Ake. But the manager was Jose Mourinho, and he was one of the best managers to ever grace the Premier League, and he clearly won tons and tons of titles. So, you know, at, at that point, I guess it was just miscommunication between the two of them. But he just moved into a share after his assist this weekend of third all-time in assists. So clearly Mourinho didn't know what he was doing. He passes Frank Lampard. I know, moment of silence for our boy. And then he's now tied with Wayne Rooney. So, I mean, he's among the greats already, and he's still got many years to go. After his time at Chelsea, he spent three years with Werder Bremen and Wolfsburg out in the Bundesliga, where he managed to set the all-time Bundesliga single assist record with 20 assists. Right after he sets the record, he comes back to England for around 60 million pounds and has now established himself as one of the greatest of all time. I mean, Premier League or not, but he now has five Premier League titles, two Player of the Season awards, not back-to-back. -back. There was 21-22 season and the 19-20 season. He has a treble, the Premier League record for assists in one campaign, which is 20, which is the record right now in the Bundesliga. He just tied it, so he's on multiple levels right now for records for recording assists and is now tied with Thierry Henry for the assist record in the Premier League. It's not a solo record. He is tied for it, but to be tied with, with the goat Ray, like, what are you going to do? Right. <laughs> oh, but, damn. Such bad yeah. company, such uh, bad company. Weird. I mean, he just moved himself with that assist. He's with Wayne Rooney now and his assist yeah. records with Thierry Henry. So yeah, clearly he's, he's carving his name into the greatness of history for the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, if I think if you're an English Premier League fan, you can't go a season without wanting to watch this guy play. I mean, just looking at what he did this weekend, very Kevin De Bruyne-esque goal, top of the box, low, driven, essentially just passes it into the back of net. I've seen him do that too many times against Arsenal. He is unbelievable. And looking at last season alone, he finished the English Premier League and Champions League with the most most assists. So in the English Premier League, he had 16 total assists, which earned him number one spot there, and six Champions League assists, which also earned him the number spot there. And on top of that, he finished second best in big chances created in both those leagues. So English Premier League, he had 31 chances, big chances created, and eight in the Champions League. So he's doing it constantly and he's executing it he is the midfield maestro that we've been talking about he is now currently in his fourth year of a five-year 104 million pound contract with manchester city he is currently on a 400,000 pound a week salary and this is all without you know contract incentives that he maybe has included with manchester city you can guarantee you if he wins most assists, he's got more money. I can guarantee you if they win the Premier League, he's got more money. I can guarantee you if they make Champions League next year that he has more money. So this is just all of his base salary rates, which is insane, right? So with all this information above, you can clearly tell it's very well earned. He's at the ripe age of 32, which would be kind of, if you were anyone else, kind of be towards the end of your prime, right? You, you hit your prime probably 26, 27, 28. 
you start to decline probably around 29, 30. You start to raise questions if you're going to continue. But at age of 32, he'll turn 33 in June, he isn't showing any signs of slowing down when he's fit. And considering you have Luka Modric at 38 still playing more than 45 games a season for Real Madrid as their maestro and another one of the world's greatest central midfielder players, Kevin is going to be pulling the strings for at least another four to five years competitively. You know, this season has been a bit of a blip for him. He's missed 32 games, all competitions. So this is the Carabao Cup. This is the FA Cup. This is Champions League. This is domestic. This is all competitions, right? Due to the hamstring injury, he sustained in the Champions League final last year. Outside of this year, he's only missed 95 games in all competitions. And he's been with Manchester City since 2015 as impeccable, right? To perform at the level he does, to distribute the ball the way he does, and to be running as much as he does in the center midfield, only missing 95 games since 2015, not including this past season, is really good news and a really great investment if you're, you know, Man City, obviously. There has been some talk of him uh, moving to Saudi Arabia, then putting in a bid for him this summer, an offer that Manchester City cannot refuse, but we'll see about that. As a fan of the EPL, I'm sure Kyle, you would agree with this. You don't want to see him go. That would be a massive loss across all boards. I personally don't see him leaving the English Premier League and going over to Saudi Arabia just from his personality standpoint. I don't think he fits the bill for that. Um, but again, you know, Saudi Arabia money talks, and they were able to convince N'Golo Kante, who I, it would have been the last person I expected to go to Saudi Arabia to play soccer. So crazier things have happened. But uh, Kyle, I mean, I think that's going to be just what a player, such a large contract that they give Kevin De Bruyne. I I can't even imagine what the numbers they're going to have to generate are for him, though. To be fair, if if you know a little bit about Kevin De Bruyne's backstory, it's kind of sad. It's, you know, he was tossed around from home to home. He was kicked out of his house before a lot of teams dropped him for underperforming. He, He never really had that guy or that woman in his life that was a mentor or even like a real family member for him. And he has said in interviews that Pep Guardiola has given him back. So I I really don't see him as a player leaving Pep's side. I think when Pep Guardiola does eventually leave Manchester City, which he has hinted at doing, he wants to become an international coach. He wants to, you know, win the World Cup, which with his play style, it's just a matter matter of cups at that point. You can coach till you're 80. (laughs) But I do think that because of his bringing up and the way he's lived his life he's a very solemn person he doesn't you've seen him score goals from 30 yards out and not even smile and celebrate it's not what he does yeah i think he's more of a loyal player and i I don't think he leaves the premier league anytime soon for any amount of money yeah i think it would be very hard pressed to see him go across the board but since we did have a split week this week we won't see him play next week so you'll have to get the rerun of the highlights in there for another fix, which was incredible. A great display. He had a, a crazy assist for Oscar Bob. We talked about before. Oscar Bob. He definitely, <laughs> you definitely have to go back. I mean, he was in the middle of the, she was probably like on the 35 to 40 yard mark and puts it to Oscar Bob. Yeah. You could laugh again. Go ahead, Kyle. On Oscar a dime. Bob. <laughs> I mean, it's not even his real name. He chose that name. Could, could you imagine? Oh, uh, it's stallion. A stallion amongst but, horse, conch amongst yeah. snails. Oscar Bob, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but it was it was quite a ball from Kevin, and you know, I'm definitely starting to shake. I know I spoke to Sean offline, and we're both in the opinion this is now City's title again 
firmly held in Kevin De Bruyne's hands. So it's going to be very difficult to to overcome a Manchester City when Holland and Kevin De Bruyne are both on the pitch at the same time. I think a lot of people forgot that you know for the past 21 games they have not been at their full roster because they have not had Kevin. It's ridiculous, but he is going to be and is already one of the world's greatest midfielders. But because we had a split week, we do have five more games this weekend to look forward to. A couple of them are kind of our highlights here. We have another battle at the bottom. That is Brentford versus Nottingham Forest at the G-Tech Community Stadium in London. It is 15th place versus 16th place. And Forest really need to win whatever game that they physically can because they are staring down the barrel of a points deduction gun. Now, this is also going to be an interesting game because it is the return of Ivan Tony. So this will be his first game back since his betting suspension. And I think it will be an interesting way for hopefully them to get out of the worst form in the league with five straight losses with an aggregate score of 12 to three. So hopefully we'll see that goals four go up a little bit more with Ivan Tony's return. It will also be interesting to see what fitness level he's at, uh, you know, noted and said over multiple interviews that he is in the best form of his life and is ready to repay or, you know, give back to the Brentford community with all the support they have been giving him as of late. And the last one, uh, I know is a good highlight for Sean. I think he's definitely more nervous for this game with the latest and greatest news that Trent Alexander-Arnold will now also be out for a large majority of the remainder of the season, a few weeks with a knee injury that he picked up during the FA Cup tie against Arsenal. Really rough news, especially coming at the time where Mo Salah is also gone for the African Cup of Nations. But this is Bournemouth versus Liverpool at Vitaly Stadium. So Liverpool will be out Salah. Trent Sobislai for this game, making it prime upset alert, especially with the dangerous in-form team right now. That is the Cherries with six wins in the last eight matches and only conceding seven goals in that stretch, which is tied for the best mark in the league during that seven-week stretch or eight-match stretch there. Kyle... Who do you see? You, you, I know you love the Cherries so much, but do you think that as a Liverpool fan, you should be as worried for this game as I think Sean and I are? I think so. I absolutely think so. I, I think that Bournemouth remembers the 9 nothing thrashing from last year. <laughs> I mean, how could you forget? But, you know, it is, as James said, they're missing key players. Salah, Alexander-Arnold, Sobislai, and you're, you're going against honestly, the best informed team in the Premier League right now. They're tied for the best in the last five games. So, yeah. so like, it's going to be tough. I can absolutely see an upset coming here. I think a lot, a lot of this game is going to fall on will one of Darwin Nunez's seven shots hit the back of the net? He's going to have his opportunities. Yeah. He's going to get the ball right in front of the goddamn net, and he's going to blow it. But if something goes differently, I, I do think this is Liverpool's game to win. I mean... I don't want to be sound like a jerk, but obviously, like it's Liverpool versus yeah. Bournemouth. Like it, it shouldn't be anyone looking at that matchup thinking anything but a Liverpool win right now. But yeah. you know, the stars you will are notice, Yeah, you will notice that last year they did split fixtures, right? So they had the nine nothing thrashing at Anfield, <laughs> and Bournemouth remembered that, and they won one nothing at home versus Liverpool. So right now. Liverpool has beat them twice this year, 3-1 at Anfield, and then 2-1 during the EFL Cup. So this will be their third meeting, so we'll see what happens here. But keep it, is a, it is a great look for the 3-1, 2-1. This, this could be the 1-1 draw that 
you know, good. It's the best case they scenario hit the cycle. Us, right? Like, could hit the oh, cycle. Kings drop two points. <laughs> hit the cycle. Exactly right. Yeah, but we're not worried about Bournemouth, uh, I don't think, right now. So I'd not rather see yet. Liverpool drop all three points. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. All right. Who's your lock of the week, Kyle? My lock of the week is coming from the only other game to potentially even highlight. Arsenal plays Crystal Palace at Arsenal. You know, it's it's yep. a game that Arsenal, I think, wins this game. They are my lock of the week. Let's get that out in the open. I'm choosing Arsenal as a draw no bet, loss no bet. Because James is apparently allowed to do these things now. So if Arsenal loses or ties, <laughs> the bet doesn't count. But if they win, I get credit <laughs> and 100%. Yep. Yep. What are their odds right now on that? Do we know? To be 100% honest, I lost way too much money on the playoff games this weekend. I don't even have a betting <laughs> app on my phone. <laughs> deleted That's everything. Fair. That's fair. I think I think Arsenal are uh, heavy favorites right now. But one thing I will say is this should be the first time that we see Michael Elise and Eze on the pitch at the same time for what I would imagine is a full start. Uh, you do have Jordan Ayew on international duty, which is a massive loss for Crystal Palace. Um, other than that, I think we have a pretty Palace established has those- roster right now. They have those games though against the big teams, tricky. and they they somehow yeah. take points off the top four more consistently than any other team in the last three years, in my opinion, from watching them. Or I'm going to say yeah. teams that don't deserve to take points off the top four, they always do. Yeah. Always them and the Wolves. Well, the last time that Crystal Palace went to the Emirates Stadium, I was actually there, and it was a four-one win in Arsenal's favor. So I'm hoping we'll see something similar ah, along those lines. Must have been a blessing to go to that game. It's been fun it was well. great. It was it was super exciting. Probably wow, one of the Sean best goes, experiences I've had. Sean goes out to Liverpool. He's a zero zero draw. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Love he did Sean. not see them lose. He he went he went three and zero with with them not losing. So very impressive. Um, he saw the the zero zero with Manchester United. He saw the one one with Arsenal, which still was probably the most intense game in the entirety of the season so far. And then obviously he saw the thrashing over West Ham, which are three great games. But I hope we get a couple great games this weekend to talk about for next. But until then, this is EPL State of Mind signing off. So enjoy the rest of your week and weekend. And we look forward to talking more about this next week.